With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. It's Lars. Thank you for checking out my podcast and have a great day. Are you approaching retirement or maybe you've just changed jobs? If so, you'll probably now have control of your 401k or IRA. Would you like to buy some property, notes, loans, start a new business, or even buy crypto? You can with a self-directed IRA. For more than a decade, I've been telling you about setting up a self-directed IRA through IRA Advantage. And while you may now hear other companies say they offer self-directed IRAs, you need to find out if they're truly self-directed. With a truly self-directed retirement account, You can make any investment the law allows. Whether you're talking about true diversification, starting your new business, or investing in private holdings, IRA Advantage through a truly self-directed IRA can make that happen. Take it from me, Lars. You've worked hard for your money. IRA Advantage will work hard to keep it yours. Would you like to learn more about truly self-directed IRAs? Then visit iraadvantage.com. View our videos and call IRA Advantage. That's iraadvantage.com. I've been preoccupied of late with uh, questions of morality, of right and wrong, good and evil. Sometimes the delineation between the two is a sharp line. Sometimes it's a blur. And often it's like pornography. You just know when you see it. I just figured that Daredevil was a perfect way to start out talking about a little bit of morality on a First Amendment Friday. So welcome to the show. And let me ask you this question. What should we think when a top elected official, also a member of the Democrat Party, party of slavery since the early 1800s, when that top Democrat progressive liberal says she is making life-threatening decisions for the public based on morality? Welcome to First Amendment Friday. I believe in the First Amendment guarantee that you have the right in America to express yourself in public. For our Canadian friends, sorry about that. You never included that in your big charter. But I set aside one day a week to throw up the throw open the phone lines and welcome your opinion on every single subject under the sun. We don't reject any of it. And then I throw out a few opinions of my own and you're invited to join me. So if you want to jump in, it's 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com and you can vote in our Twitter poll. That's about grizzly bears. I'll get to that just a little bit later. And welcome to the Radio Northwest Network, proudly serving the Pacific Northwest states for almost 23 years now, and glad to do it for another 23 to come. Now, let me get to the subject of morality and liberal politicians, because this one just jumped me and jumped me hard. This week, we saw 
the lame duck governor of Oregon, Kate Brown. She's going to be out of office in about a month. But before she went out the door, she decided to do something that is especially, uh, well, evil is the only real way to describe it. This week, she stole the decision from voters about whether or not to see some of the most heinous murderers in society given commutation of their death sentences. Now, that decision, by law, belongs to the citizens, and citizens have voted for the death penalty in Oregon in particular, not once, but twice, and both times a solid majority support it. The public opinion polls suggest a solid majority of citizens still supports the death penalty, so much so that when Kate Brown decided to explain her decision to tell 17 people who had been sentenced to death row, only three of them were actually still literally on death row. The rest were in the general population of the state's prisons. But when she made that announcement, she said a lot of people don't like the death penalty. And she's right about that. A lot of people don't like the death penalty. But notice what she didn't say. She didn't say a majority of citizens in this state oppose the death penalty. And the reason she didn't say it is she knows that would be a lie we could all call her out on. Although most of the mainstream news media is not inclined to call Kate Brown out on almost anything. Now, politicians. What is Governor Kate Brown's reasoning to steal that decision from the voters? And rather than ask the voters and put it to a vote, easy enough to do, Kate Brown could have simply asked the legislature, which is made up of Dem uh, Democrat majorities in both the House and the Senate. She could have said, I think we should have a vote on the death penalty. The legislature would have easily put it on the ballot and then the citizens could decide. Do you know why Kate Brown decided not to do it that way? Because she knew, knew to a fair certainty that citizens would reject that crazy idea. So let me tell you the quote that explains why Kate Brown did what she did. Let me quote her directly out of her statement. Her decision, quote, reflects the recognition that the death penalty is immoral. Kind of funny to hear a Democrat like Kate Brown talking about morality. Let's talk a little bit about law and morality. Most of society's laws are of a mostly practical nature. In other words, there's a law that says you can't kill anyone. There's a law that says you can't steal from somebody. There's a law that says you can't force somebody to have sex. We call that the crime of rape. Those are the practical laws. We have a few other laws that are based on morality. Why do most of America's states allow people to sign up for the dirtiest, nastiest jobs as long as the pay is good enough, but almost all the states, there are a couple of exceptions, say it is illegal to agree to do sex for money we call that prostitution. Most of America's states call it prostitution. And why do we define it that way? Because of morality. And yet liberals like Kate Brown usually reject the idea of most morality-based laws. And let me give you a few examples. I think, now it's just my opinion, but it's my morality, and you're allowed to have whatever morality you want to have. I think that killing unborn babies is immoral. Kate Brown does not. I think that legalizing hard drugs and then watching too many people die from drug overdoses, I think that's immoral. Kate Brown does not. I think the drag queen story hour in public schools and public libraries is immoral. Kate Brown disagrees. I think that schools indoctrinating kids on sexuality and gender is immoral. 
Kate Brown apparently does not. Teachers bringing their personal sexuality to a public school, and instead of teaching the kids reading and writing and arithmetic, the school teachers decide that they have the right to bring their personal beliefs, their personal politics, and their personal sexuality and personal sexual peculiarities to a public school and then impose it on your kids. I think that's immoral. I can guarantee you Kate Brown does not. Now, I'm sure that some of you cringe when I point out the clear hypocrisy that late-term Kate Brown thinks it's not only moral to kill unborn babies, but it's even moral to take taxpayer money and use it to fly women to Oregon, put them up in a hotel, pay all of their expenses, and then pay for them to have abortions in Oregon. She finds that perfectly okay. In fact, I think she even finds it admirable. I'm reasonably sure that Kate Brown will be up for that eugenicist Margaret Sanger Award for sponsoring abortion tourism for Oregon. But when it comes to the considered and careful choice made by society to single out a very few of the many, many murders that happen in America and then take the life of that murderer, and when that is done, not just on the government say-so, it's done based on two votes by the public saying, yes, we believe that should be the penalty for some murders, not every murder. Uh, frankly, I would apply it to drug dealers, many of them. I would apply it to many rapists. I'd apply it to many child abusers. I mean, I'd make, I'd make widespread use of the death penalty. Now, of course, we've got a society that doesn't seem to want to do that. No, but Kate Brown says that all those other things are immoral or more are moral. That is, you know, sex in public schools, indoctrination of kids, drag queen story hour, legalizing hard drugs. She thinks all of that is moral. But she finds the idea to take that very small number of murderers, put them on death row, and then at some point, usually decades later, to put a needle in their arm and take their lives because of the lives they took. She's now lecturing us that she's doing it because of morality. I think that's just plain ridiculous. Welcome to First Amendment Friday on the Radio Northwest Network. Glad to take your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Coming up, Oregon's new Measure 114 gun ban is in legal limbo. And I'll have a few things to say about that. Your calls after that. That makes a lot of sense, a lot of nonsense. Right, you're bloody well right. You know you got a right to say. This is the Northwest Nonsense. How much longer do we have to sit for this nonsense? That great moment every day where Lars brings you the cold, hard facts without any liberal wokeness from the daily dead fish wrapper or mainstream media bias. Well, now Oregonians are left in a kind of limbo about exactly where they stand with their state and federal gun rights. A good kind of limbo in some ways. The Eastern Oregon judge who slapped a restraining order on the unconstitutional gun ban, Measure 114, has now decided that one of the most obnoxious parts of that proposed law will not go into effect until a trial can be held on its constitutionality. Now, I'm not a legal expert, but I would say a trial that is at least months away, which means in the meantime, without that restraining order, your gun rights would be gone and buying a gun would be illegal. And yet you're kind of in limbo right now. Can you still buy a gun? Can anybody buy a gun, including members of law enforcement? The judge decided yesterday that the ban on any magazine or gun capable of holding more than 10 bullets or shells, that stays on hold for now. 
So where does that leave citizens? I get this question every single day lately. 30,000 plus are waiting in line as the Oregon State Police slow walk their approvals for gun purchases made in the weeks before and after voters barely approved this unconstitutional law. And if you say, Lars, that's not fair to the OSP, Believe me, we've reached out to OSP. They don't even return our phone calls. So as far as I'm concerned, if they want to dispute what I've just said, I'd be happy to have them on the show. I'm not going to take a statement by email. A state bureaucracy that literally still cannot figure out exactly what Measure 114, this proposed law that is not in existence yet, what does it actually require? Whether law enforcement can actually deliver on what the law requires and how they're going to get it done. They will instead, even while the law is held up by the judge's decision, they'll be hiring dozens, maybe even hundreds of new employees to build a gun and permit registration system that may, at the very end of this trial sometime next year, not become a law at all. But hey, wasting money, that's something Oregon state government and often local government is very, very good at. Just a good old-fashioned Oregon legislative goat rope where your civil rights get kicked to the curb, lots of money gets wasted, and nothing good at all comes of it. But at least for now, Measure 114 is dead. And as far as I'm concerned, it can stay that way. Now, if you want to jump into the best conversation and talk journalism, First Amendment Fridays are a great time to do it. 866-HEY-LARS. And naysayers, you always go right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Our Twitter poll question has to do with grizzly bears. And I have at least a passing familiarity with grizzlies. When I was a little kid, not even in school yet, my dad was a national park ranger both in Glacier National Park and in Mount Rainier. And sometimes they had to move a problem bear from one place where they'd been, you know, emptying out the garbage cans and potentially putting people's lives at risk to another part of the, uh, of the national park. And I would often go along on those. They'd trap the bears in this big metal culvert and then drive them 20 or 30 miles away and drop them off. Oftentimes they made their way right back but at least they were out of the way for a while. So here's the question. Should the government bring grizzly bears back to the Cascade Mountains? Well, up in Chelan County, the county commissioners, they say they want federal agencies to stop their efforts to reintroduce grizzly bears to the North Cascades. Commissioners sent a letter to North Cascades National Park Service Complex Superintendent Don Stryker, stating that they and other surrounding counties were not even consulted about this idea. We continue to oppose grizzly bear reintroduction given the likely negative impact to public safety. Yeah, dead tourists is definitely a negative impact. Economic development, recreational opportunities, and the overall livelihood of our rural communities. That was in the commissioner's letter. So our question today, should the government bring grizzly bears back to the North Cascades Mountains? I would say no to that. And if somebody wants to give me a great naysayer argument about why it's a good idea to put a solid uh, apex predator uh, in numbers into national parklands and then still invite tourists to go out and go for hikes or go camping, I'd be glad to hear the argument. In any case, glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. I also want to mention this. This email came in from Nathan. Lars, I find it quite ironic and typically normal for hypocrite Kate Brown, Governor Kate Brown, to commute the death sentences for murderers while standing behind abortion rights. And abortion is legal right up to the moment of birth in Oregon. And for anybody who argues that a baby is not a person till it's born, you have to ask them why. If you kill a pregnant woman, you're charged with two murders. Well, it happens not in Oregon. 
In Oregon, that unborn baby is not considered a murder. He says, I'm not hardline on either, but I find her hypocrisy amazing. Again, we need to, we want to stop gun purchases to protect children, but we allow widespread abortion while keeping convicted murderers alive so she can feel better about herself at night, signed Nathan B. And then this one came in from Shannon. Uh, Lars, I pulled up to a gas station in Portland, assuming that the law against pumping your own gas is still in place. I live in Washington. I avoid Portland like the plague. But I had to go down to the Navy MEPS and see my son take his Navy oath. After sitting at the pump for five minutes waiting for the attendant, I noticed everybody else is pumping their own gas. I, the sign of the pump says it's still a $500 fine for pumping your own gas. I go inside and I ask if anybody is pumping gas. I prefer to pump my own, but the store says... They can't hire anybody willing to work, so I go outside and pump my own. While I'm pumping my gas, the homeless people are are all going to the pumps and pulling all the trash so they can burn trash along the freeway for heat. We have nobody willing to work, so motorists can abide by pumping the gas law, but we have homeless people 100 feet away burning trash who cost us money while they kill the environment. Signed, Shannon. And now today's Daily Grill. Insane. Are you completely insane? Ridiculous. They get more and more ridiculous. Flat out dumb. You're even dumber than I thought. Who deserves today's Lars Grill of the Day? Maybe they're just really, really stupid. The way has been paved by trademark paving. Just pave it. Serving Southwest Washington. Well, I'm going to award today's Daily Grill for the release of serial rapist Richard Gilmore, who's getting out of custody today. And Tiffany Eden's a victim of the serial rapist Richard Gilmore, plans to do what the state has refused to do, to personally notify the community of her attacker's release from prison. Today, Gilmore will be let out of the Columbia River Correctional Institution after 36 years in custody to transitional housing in Portland's Old Town District. Edens and her supporters plan to walk Old Town streets, passing out flyers showing his latest prison photo to people who live, work, or sleep in that neighborhood. Uh, I will applaud what Tiffany Edens is doing and shame on the state of Oregon and Kate Brown for not doing something about this offender. Now, today's best email, but you can always send more to talk at LarsLarson.com, brought to you by the MEI Group, one of the largest heavy civil construction companies in the Northwest, currently hiring and paying top dollar for project managers, engineers, and estimators, vmeigroup.com. Andrew writes, and Lars, the state of Washington is getting ready to put the hammer down on folks who don't pay their tolls, and they have the means to coerce people to pay that are unavailable to regular creditors. Think of the poor elderly woman who was recently arrested for not paying her trash bill. The government wants their money, and they want it now to pay for new transportation projects. My guess is it's new toll roads, buses, and bike paths. Meanwhile, shoplifting is rampant and increasing. The government won't pursue the miscreants, and retailers are encouraged not to either. In fact, the retailers could be liable if they do. And the state, like shoplifters, will burden us as well. Signed, Andrew. It is First Amendment Friday. It's my pleasure to be with you on the Radio Northwest Network, and you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to The Lars Larson Show on First Amendment Friday. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. If you care to, vote in my Twitter poll. We put up a brand new question each and every day. You can find it at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. If you're still not a fan of Twitter, you can go to my website. The vote counts the same. Now, 
I think it's fair to say that for most Americans, even those of moderate means, the biggest investment they will ever have during their lives is going to be the house they live in if they buy it and if they are capable of paying for it or paying most of it uh, by the time they retire. And yet there is a, a sense that the government may be planning in some places to steal that equity in cases where people have fallen on hard times. And it's a subject that I want to explore with Christina Martin, who's a senior attorney with the Pacific Legal Foundation. Christina, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Now, Pacific Legal fights a lot of good fights. I have yet to find one of your causes that I don't, uh, that I don't support. Uh, and in fact, I, I have no other ties other than a, a deep and, and longstanding admiration for PLF. But tell me what you mean when you say the government is stealing the equity from the homes of some people who've fallen on hard times. Sure. So in some states, if you fall behind on your taxes, even if your debt is as small as $8, like it was in one of my clients' cases, um, if you fall too far behind, the government will not just take what it's owed. It'll take your whole house, all your equity in it. Um, sometimes they'll just sell it uh, and keep a windfall at your expense. It'd be like if you owed me $14 and I got to take your $100 bill out of your wallet and didn't have to refund you a penny. You're not going to do that to me, Christina. I don't have any $100 bills in my pocket, but uh, I understand what you mean. And, and uh, before we get deep into the whys of why some states are doing it this way, would this be legal for a private company to do? I mean, I, I think of the example, say, of a lesser asset like an automobile. So you buy an automobile on time, you still owe a couple of thousand, say $2,000 on it, but the automobile is worth $4,000. If you suddenly, for whatever reason, find yourself unable to sell the car and unable to make the payments, you know, the car company will, or the bank will say, let's take the car back. But in, I think in all cases, if the bank then sells your car for 4000 to settle your $2,000 debt, the bank, by law, has to give you the difference, doesn't it? That's right. So, And the same thing applies in mortgage foreclosures. Um, so if you owed the bank only $8 or a few thousand dollars, they wouldn't be able to take all your equity. They have to sell the property, take what they're owed, and return everything back to you. But the government's made the self dealing exception in about a, do a dozen states, including Oregon, by the way. And uh, unfortunately, the result is legalized theft. Of course, we think that's unconstitutional. Now, let me ask you this, Christina. Is there anything in the legislative record that indicates these states didn't just do this because some lawyer missed a comma or, or a period or, or missed putting in a line? They did this. They set this up deliberately. Is that fair to say? Well, well, honestly, we don't know. I mean, I think some of the states didn't realize what was going on when they adopted this. The legislators had no idea in some states. Um, I'm not sure what happened in Oregon, but it does fly in the face of normal debt collection practices and actually historical tax collection practices. It's completely contradictory to how most states still collect property taxes. I mean, the only, re the only thing I'm thinking of is if you've got a state legislature that's written uh, uh, laws for all kinds of other creditors, whether it's a bank, a credit union, uh, maybe even a private lending institution, uh, a retailer, any of these other laws that they've written where they were careful to say, but if to settle a debt you take back somebody's property that's collateral, then once you've sold that property, if it happens to sell, oftentimes it doesn't, but if it happens to sell for more money than is owed, you have to return the balance. So they've written all of those laws, and then somehow magically, when they got to the one where the state takes property back and they forgot to put that line in, 
I'm sorry, Christina, but that seems to beg credulity, doesn't it? Well, and it's even worse than that because they also even extinguish all other liens on the property. So they're not just robbing the the debtors, they're robbing other lien holders, too. So, for instance, I I remember when Tina and I first got married, we bought a little 700-square-foot house, and it didn't have much to to recommend it, but we decided to put in a little uh, natural gas stove to provide some heat because it was it was pretty cold in the winter time and we we put a little lien against the house you know which we were paying the bank for uh and i think we owed 1600 bucks uh to the gas company to pay for the cost of the stove which we did in in a couple of years you're saying that if they had taken that house back from me they'd have not only kept all excess equity if i had any but they'd have told the 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 lien holder for that little 1600 bucks i owed sorry you're out of luck we're taking everything yeah, if it's considered a fixture in the house, yes. So, so they just they just wipe all the other liens out. Does any other entity other than the government have that kind of right under law? Um, no, but I, I should mention some of these states, states like Nebraska and Massachusetts, actually sometimes allow private investors to run off with a windfall instead of the government, which is just no, baffling. Now, how does that work? Where the state says we need to take this property back. But there's a lot of uh, bother and paperwork and everything else. So they, they get somebody from the private sector who says, well, I'll come in and buy it for what's owed on it. And then I'll give the state a chunk of it. And the private investor gets some of the money. So the state actually farms out their theft to the private sector? Essentially. Yeah, they give out the right to, to collect the debt. So they want their money now. And they say to the investor, you can collect interest on that. It's usually somewhere around 14% sometimes higher, sometimes slightly lower. And then uh, at the end of it all, if, if you don't pay the investor, then the investor runs off with all the money. And that's exactly ha- what happened to our client, Kevin Fair. We're asking the Supreme Court to review his case. Um, he lost in the Nebraska Supreme Court. But um, he only had a three-month warning that he would lose his house if he didn't pay his property taxes. It wasn't just like the oldest debt that had to be paid. It was three years. And, you know, he hadn't been receiving tax bills because after he was late for the first payment, the first year, $588, the lien was sold to the private investor. The private investor paid all the subsequent taxes and he heard heard nothing for three years. And then they took his $60,000 house. So so he lost $60,000 in equity and the state, well, the private investor made out like a bandit and the state got the money it cared about. Yeah, that's essentially, yeah. Now, let me, Christina, over the years, I've always been irritated that so many states and cities and counties, they all belong to these these things where they get to go to conventions every year, and they're called the League of Cities, the League of Counties. Uh, There's, I think, a state-level one as well. And what the purpose of those is supposed to be, where states can, you know, state officials can, or county or city officials can, you know, mix, mix up with other states and say, hey, you know, wh- we got this problem in our state. You look like you've solved it. How do you solve it? And they share what they've learned. D- this should be easy to fix if the state that, that's getting all this extra windfall was so inclined, shouldn't it? It should be. And we did get laws changed in a few states. Um, but unfortunately, in other states, it's, it's just deeply entrenched and you would think it would be easy, but it's not. Do you have any idea how much of a windfall the states have been able to pick up by stealing people's home equity? Yeah, hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, I mean, we know about $777 million in just home equity was lost 
to these laws and between 2014 and uh, 2021. And we have a new report. You can read all, all about it at end, sorry, at homeequitytheft.org. That's homeequitytheft.org. Um, but, you know, Oregon, the, the government's uh, pocketed at about um, $11 million, um, taking about a, over 100 homes, just homes. This doesn't include farms, commercial property, anything like that. Um, wow. And, yeah, and the loss, of course, to the homeowners was much more than what the government uh, even pocketed because the government, to tell you the truth, makes a terrible realtor. No doubt. They they buy they buy low and they or they buy high and they sell low. That's Christina Martin Martin from the Pacific Legal Foundation. You're listening to the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. Under the table is how Joe's paid Millions from China he has made Graft and corruption he wrote the book And his son Hunter's a major crook Joe, Joe, Joe makes lots of dough Joe, Joe, Joe is ethics are low Under the table, quick, quick, quick A cut for the big guy should do the trick Anyone out there with half a brain Knows that Joe blackmailed Ukraine Can the prosecutor who wants his son Or the deal for a billion won't get done Quid pro quo, blackmailing Joe Quid pro quo, Joe needs to go Under indictment they both should be What can you call it but bribery? Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. That's our great parody guy, the great Jim Gossett. And your calls are welcome on a First Amendment Friday, live on the Radio Northwest Network, serving the Pacific Northwest states of Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. Uh, and glad to take your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Let's go first to Bellingham and talk to Hank. Hey, Hank, thanks for listening on the network. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars, that was a great song, but I, I'm not sure if you know what the Biden crime family's up to now. What they're doing is they're taking President Trump's likeness and putting it on these fake trading cards and trying to sell it to people. And they're dressing him up and making him look like an idiot. They, they put him on a clown suit and an astronaut suit and some supervillain. Um, I think we got to get Joe Biden impeached for this one. So Marjorie, now, I, I know you're I know you're having fun with that. this because you know that it was Trump's idea or somebody on his staff's idea. To no, sell these no, NFTs. He's a billionaire. He wouldn't do that. Well, he's actually, you know what I was surprised to read this morning, Hank, and I'll cite the reporting, the New York Post, the one that got banned on Twitter under the previous management. You know what they pointed out? Uh, people said, well, Trump's an idiot to do this. He offered up 45,000. Do, do you want me to do you want to hear this or have a conversation or not? Well, I just don't want you to send out misinformation, Lars. This well, no, Trump, Trump did it. Trump endorsed it. They sold 45,000. You know what, Hank? You're not being... You're mind not being blown. Mind blown. Do you know what they're worth today? You don't. Do they you? come with gum? Yeah. Hank, thanks very much. Not a great naysayer. Let's go to John. John, it's First Amendment Friday. I know you can do better than that. <laughs> uh, thanks for taking my call, Lars. Sure. What's on your mind? Um, yeah, well, uh, I got kind of got sidetracked here, um, you know, coming into this. Uh, so, 
Uh, I was going to talk about uh, one fourteen, for, but I'd like to take a little side trip here for a second. All right, go for uh, it. You have uh, a, a question up of should illegal aliens be given rights? And I just like to throw in there. No, we don't uh, have that question. Illegal, that was, don't you guys actually, understand, John? Uh, that was a question okay. earlier this week because Jay Inslee asked the Biden White House, the Biden crime family to okay uh, providing health insurance from Medicaid, taxpayer dollars, for illegal aliens. And Jay Inslee got permission from the White House to hand off tens of millions of dollars, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars, to buy health insurance for illegal aliens. And I understand it's illegal, but uh, the problem is they are doing it right now. And I imagine some other states run by blue state governors like Jay Inslee will probably do the same kind of thing. And I'm outraged by it, too. But the fact is, if the White House says we're going to give you a Medicaid waiver to spend the money that way, whether we like it or not, the Congress gave, in this case, the Congress did give the president authority to spend the money that way or to say yes to the states. And he's given permission to Jay Inslee, and I'm sure he'll probably hand the same kind of permission to other governors as well. What do you want to say about Measure 114? You don't believe in that unconstitutional gun ban, do you? <laughs> well, give me give me just a second here. So what happened to 192 down in California? I was in, up here in Oregon listening to 192, and 192 was exactly what we needed, and they made it what illegal. Is one, describe what 192 so, does, because I don't uh, know. That was, that was about 15 years ago, and okay. when, or whenever it was in California, when they made it uh, illegal to have any services for illegal aliens. What? No, no, no services for illegal aliens down in California. Yeah, I might have. It might be like welf- welfare like and yeah, because one ninety two was actually about. Uh, well, one of them was a bond measure in California, and the other one was on seismic rebuilds of of property. Oh. So it, it does make a difference when you get the numbers right. But uh, John, thanks very much. Boy, I'm having an interesting First Amendment Friday. Let me share part of this with you. Uh, a gentleman wrote to me, and he said, Lars. I was a police officer for 35 years, and I was the supervising investigator on one of the cases involving a murderer who was given commutation of a life sentence, uh, sorry, a death sentence by Kate Brown, Jesse Compton's murder of Tessalyn O'Cole in Springfield. Oregon Governor Kate Brown in her final days commuted the sentences of all 17. Jesse Compton was one of them. I helped put and keep him on death row during a quarter century of appeals. This is this former law enforcement officer writing to me. Jesse and the child's mother hogtied Tessalyn O'Cull for up to 20 hours each day. This is a little baby girl during the final month of her two-year life. She was beaten daily and left to soak in her own urine and feces. Jesse used electric cords with the ends exposed to administer countless electrical shocks and burns to her body. He used a propane blowtorch to burn her genitals while she was hogtied. And this is one of the people that Kate Brown said it was immoral to put to death. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and First Amendment Friday. Lars here with a question for you. Why is it that some people aren't as stressed out about the future as you'd think they would be? 
The answer, they're probably among the millions of Americans who prepared themselves with emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. If the worst ever happens, literally millions of American families are already protected from dealing with those empty store shelves. Is yours? Mine is. If not, go to MyPatriotSupply.com right now and grab some emergency food kits, at least one for every member of your family. These kits give you a wide variety of delicious meals that average over 2,000 calories per day. That's what you need. Everything stays fresh for up to 25 years in storage. Order your kits right now by going to MyPatriotSupply.com. Your order ships fast and arrives discreetly in unmarked boxes. Listen, this is something you need to jump on now before the next news headline stuns the world. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com. That's MyPatriotSupply.com. Welcome back to Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a First Amendment Friday. Always glad to get your phone calls and your emails at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. We are about to enter into a very interesting new year. And let me tell you a couple of the factors that I think are going to go into that. We're going to see a softening economy, if not a full-on recession, it's going to become very, very tough, especially for those at the bottom of the economic ladder. That's problem one. Problem two, I think we're seeing an increasing number of people who bought homes not so long ago and are now either upside down or behind in their payments. That suggests that you may see a lot more foreclosures going into the coming year. Interest rates are going up. And on consumer debt, that's going to have a consequence, again, for people at the bottom of the economic ladder. And then you've got the problem that an awful lot of people, because of 7% or greater interest rates, and the Fed just jacked the rate up another half point, uh, their rate, but that's likely to have an effect on mortgage rates. That means some houses may sit empty because the people who'd love to buy them and have the income to buy them and the credit score to buy them don't have an interest rate that they can actually afford. So put all of those together, along with cities that have adopted things like uh, bans on increasing rents for landlords, uh, they've also adopted no eviction uh, policies and that sort of thing. You end up with a lot of vacant property. Well, what happens when that property is vacant, especially when you couple that with police forces that have been defunded, with the uh, police given marching orders that say don't go after people for breaking the laws, especially minor laws. Well, it's a problem that Nick Shivers is already seeing. Now, Nick is one of the many supporters of this program, his real estate business uh, at NickShivers.com. Nick, welcome back to the program. Tell me what you've been seeing recently involving vac vacant homes and the so-called homeless or vagrants. Yes. So, Lars, here is the latest episode. Uh, and, and the news channel came out there and they had said that that was just one of many that they were checking out. But here, here's the situation. We get a, a phone call from a neighbor in the morning, okay, that they see uh, activity at the house. We go over there. There's somebody in the house, okay? We call the police, and, and I love our police officers, but they're underfunded, demoralized. They can't do their job, so they, they can't do anything. So we talk to the homeowner. The homeowner goes over there, gets into the house, physically has an altercation. Cops are called. The two out-of-state, these people are not from Oregon, they're out-of-staters with arrest warrants, get arrested and taken out of the property. It doesn't stop there, Lars. Six hours later, 
another phone call. People are back in the house. Because the guys or the people arrested on the warrants, the outstanding warrants, have probably been fairly quickly released. Is it the same people back in the house? Yeah. By the time by the time we got there, they they had went out the back door. Um, but you know, unfortunately, I mean, the police officers that we were talking to were like, "We can't do anything," and this happens all over the place, and we have no teeth because there's no consequences for people doing anything. And this is not that's not one, just one thing. It is numerous. I talked to a, uh, a property manager the other day that the homeowner had to break back into the house in order to get occupancy of his property because somebody had set up camp in his house and there was nothing that he could do, but he broke back into his own house. And he had to break in, let me guess, because either the locks had been changed or the locks on the house were broken and then the house was in some way secured by these new squatters. Exactly. And the laws say once they're in there, it's not just as you can't just go in there and drive them out. Um, and so it's become a, a huge issue. Huge well, issue. And- and, and let me throw this at you, Nick, because when you describe this homeowner doing something I think most people would say is reasonable, you're in my property, I'm going to ask you to leave. If you won't leave, we're going to have an altercation. At that point, if the, if the criminals that he's dealing with in this case uh, decide, I'm going to wait till this guy hits me, then I'm going to call the cops and I'm going to have the homeowner arrested for assaulting me, even though I'm in a property I'm not allowed to be in, and the homeowner is just trying to protect his property. But if you assault the person, if you grab them by the arm and try to drag them across the room, uh, and, and then they fight back, they're going to say, well, this guy assaulted me. The, the homeowner assaulted me. I'm the one who's the victim. Arrest him. And the police may have no choice but to do that, right? Right. That is a consequence that we're going to see over and over again, because the homeowner has no other options right now. Multnomah County, Portland will not do anything. So they have to. Here's another example. Uh, uh, Abandoned van parks in front of a driveway of a house that we're selling. Okay, we go out there, call the police. They're saying, hey, there's nothing. Unless they're breaking in, we can't do anything. So the only recourse that we had to do is we had to solve the problem. And that means homeowners will have to take things into their own hands. And Lars, as we know, that is a bad thing when we, the the people, which, which the reality is, if we could do it without getting in trouble, we can solve the problem. But that's not the case. We, people will get prosecuted for defending and taking people out of their own homes well, that they that people broke into. Nick, that's my fear. Is it some legitimate law-abiding citizen who's merely trying to protect his or her property ends up going to jail for assault? In that case, can you call a tow company and say, listen, tow this car out of here, take it to an impound lot, and if it ends up with several thousand dollars in storage charges and the person can't recover it, too bad. Is that even an option? Yeah, the towing company wouldn't do it. So what we had to do, Lars, on that specific, we actually paid the people $500 oh. to move the vehicle. That's, now, hold that's on. Now, but, but you know what, Nick? I mean, I, I, I think, you know, any port in a storm, you look for the solution you can actually put your hands on. And I understand that. 
But once once these squatters living on the streets dis- determine all we got to do is park in front of somebody's driveway, refuse to move, cops won't act, tow company won't act, and I'll wait until the they, they can engage they can engage in legalized extortion, can't they? Oh, one hundred percent, one hundred percent, Lars. It doesn't even. We have a client right now, and they're not a wealthy. They're a mom and pop landlord that used a rental for positive cash flow in their retirement years. Right. Lars, two years. It's been two years since the tenants have paid a mortgage. Now, we were able to help them to get rental assistance up until September, but the fact is, guess who's paying that? Me and you. And, And Oregonians. Well, and the problem is that if you've, you know, I've tell people, buy a little rental house, get it paid for over the next 30 years. When you retire, you'll have a steady flow of income. And now the government is aiding and abetting the squatters in denying even that income to these people who've actually done the right thing and are doing nothing wrong. That's Nick Shivers. He's one of the great supporters of this program. You'll find him at nickshivers.com. Back in a moment, it's First Amendment Friday, 866-439-5277. I'll get to your calls coming up next on the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I want to get to your phone calls. Let me tell you first about our Twitter poll question. Should the government bring grizzly bears back to the Cascade Mountains? Chelan County commissioners have said, don't do this. This is a terrible idea. And I've made the same argument for years. I think bringing more apex predators into places where there are people, where there is a game, where there are game animals, uh, where people recreate, I think is an extraordinarily bad idea. So I would say, no, they should not bring the grizzly bears back to the North Cascades. You can vote in the Twitter poll at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. Brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. Yesterday, uh, you might have heard me talk to the gentleman who runs both a, an MMA and a, uh, and a martial arts studio uh, in, in the Northwest. And he put on a free, no charge, uh, all women self-defense class, which I think is a good way to pay back to the community uh, to do a good turn. And then he got people complaining that somehow he was transphobic. Uh, he was even threatened by a state agency. Yes, the same agency that went after the cake shop that would not bake a cake in celebration of a gay wedding, which was, by the way, at the time, illegal anyway. And, uh, and I ask you, should someone born a man be allowed to attend and participate in a women's self-defense class. Uh, 90% of you joined me in a no vote on that. Only 10% of you voted yes. To your calls now. Let's start with Bob. Hey, Bob, thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network and Grants Pass. What's on your mind today? Hello, long-time listener. I haven't talked to you in years, Lars, but the question is, you've heard the fact that there's only 554 people that actually run this government. Well, you know, five five thirty five in the House and the Senate, and then you've got uh, you've got nine on the Supreme Court and one in the White House. Except he's not mentally here, so I'm not sure how you count Joe. But okay, about, about the, that's about the number. Exactly, and they've all sworn an oath to the Constitution to protect this country from all things foreign and domestic enemies. Enemies, foreign and domestic. Yep. So what we have going here is every one of them, Republican, Independent, Democrat, have broken their oath by not enforcing the laws on our southern border. 
Except that now, now you've got to take that number you started with. There is only one person, and and that is Joe Biden or whoever's calling the shots for Joe, because the the Congress can do oversight, but the Congress does not enforce the law. But what the executive does, the president, he takes an oath not just to support and defend the Constitution, but to faithfully execute the laws of the United States. He has decided not only not to do that, but actually to work at cross purposes. So I'd take the number you started with and reduce it to one, because Joe Biden is the one person. Congress can yell and scream. They can threaten to not fund federal agencies. They can say we're going to hold hearings and do our oversight authority. But other than funding and other than yelling and screaming, they can't do anything. Joe Biden right. has the power and the authority to do it. And and actually not just the authority. He's taken an oath to faithfully execute the laws of the United States. Exactly. And the people of America understand that the Marines at Camp Pendleton could close that border down within two days. Yep. And Joe doesn't want it closed. Joe doesn't want it closed, although... I pointed out yesterday, there's something strange going on inside the the minds of Democrats right now. Let me tell you what it is. When Joe Biden campaigned for president, he vowed he would not build one more foot of that wall. When he got into office January of last year, one of his first actions after he killed the energy sector was to cancel all construction that had already been bought and paid for by President Trump on the border wall. And people said, well, hold on. The materials are already there. The contracts are already let. The monies will have to be paid whether the wall gets built or not. Why don't we just finish the parts that we're working on now? To which Joe Biden said, no, we're not building one more foot. This week, the Department of Homeland Security is forecasting that we may have as many as 14,000 illegal aliens per day crossing our border illegally. There was a story that just popped about 10 minutes ago that says illegals are literally crawling out of the sewers in some of the towns in Texas because they jumped into the sewer lines on the south side of the border, made their way or from the river up through the sewer lines into those cities. It's that bad. 14,000 people a day. About a year and a half ago, one of Joe Biden's own people said, if we had 1,000 people a day, it would create a crisis. We're now heading up to 14,000 per day. And the DHS, Department of Homeland Security, has just announced they're going to finish the uncompleted parts of the wall. Now, I think that's good news. But, Bob, i got to ask, what the heck is going on? The Biden administration sent the message loud and clear, come on in. We're going to let all of you in. We don't care if you're breaking the law. Yesterday or this week, they caught two convicted murderers crossing the border. At least Border Patrol got them in custody. But we don't know how many terrorists, how many other criminals have crossed into this country at the invitation of Joe Biden. So and yet Joe Biden, it sounds like or somebody, whoever's telling him, you know, talking in his ear, it's probably Barack Obama who wanted a third term anyway. And Joe doesn't seem to be all there most days of the week. So I, I don't I don't think anybody could say he's calling the shots. But somebody is telling them, you got to tighten up that border right now because we're going to have a problem so big that voters are going to remember it in the fall of 24. I just wanted to throw that in because there are some other elements to this problem. Well, just imagine the fact that if all of those single military-age men were Chinese, would he defend the border? Yeah, well, it, it sounds it, Chinese. No, he's already bought and paid for by China. The big guy got millions out of China because of the Biden crime family. He'd probably invite the Chinese in and roll out the red carpet. Let's go to Ellen in Southern Oregon. Hey, Ellen, welcome to the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Well, 
Well, I just like to respond to the this this question about a women's self defense and you know, there is just no way that a man belongs in a women's self defense class. I'm a sixty one year old woman and I'm finally an empty nester with my husband and I'm taking a, a self defense class which is taught by a wonderful man and the class is mixed. But every smart. once in a while there's smart a to women's do. self defense there's a women's self defense class that's the that's been given and um, and it's it's a completely different experience. We have women in there who have been abused by their fathers, by their brothers, by you know a random person in a parking lot. And to learn the skills to allow you to feel like you have permission to fight back, to actually fight back to someone who is threatening your life, is a very very life changing experience. And well, and, I don't and Ellen, Ellen, can I throw into that? When you're learning that, there's got to be hands-on learning, and that means you've got to get up up close and personal with the people who are playing the assailant and playing the the victim, right? So that you learn. And and if and if they're telling this woman who's been abused or raped or assaulted in some way, you're going to have to get up close and personal, not only to a man, but a man wearing women's clothing and pretending to be a woman. I would think that'd be more than off-putting. Yeah, no, that's that's not not working. That's unacceptable. And and in my self defense class, the mix, we have men who are very experienced at modulating their their uh, their pressure. You know, so they're challenging you, but at the same time, not doing anything weird. And and they are the most wonderful group of men and and women I've ever met. And you know, there are offered, there are often occasions where a woman needs to sit something out and needs to go into the bathroom and cry or needs to sit out and cry and, and watch it. And it's a very uh, it's a very important step towards breaking this this cycle of abuse towards Absolutely right, Ellen. Thank you. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a First Amendment Friday. Your calls are always welcome, and I'll get back to calls in a moment at 866-HEY-LARS. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Naysayers always go to the head of the line. You remember that when you call. And if you want to vote in our Twitter poll, you can find it at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. Now, uh, in full disclosure, I am a Christian. Uh, I don't believe in abortion. Uh, and I don't believe that a government hospital should require that Christians in the medical field should have to perform abortions. And yet we get these uh, questions that are popping up right now and issues that have to be resolved. Tyler O'Neill joins me now, who's managing editor for The Daily Signal, which is a good read every single day. Tyler, it's good to have you back. Welcome back. My pleasure to be here, Lars. Tell me about this Texas nurse that has brought a lawsuit against the Joe Biden administration. Yeah, so Stephanie Carter, who's a Christian nurse practitioner at the Olin E. Teague Veterans Medical Center in Temple, Texas, uh, has filed this lawsuit saying that she cannot perform, prescribe, or counsel for abortion services because of her sincerely held religious beliefs that unborn babies are created in the image of God and should be protected. And I think it's, it's important. She doesn't just cite her religious beliefs, although that is the centerpiece of the lawsuit, but also her medical beliefs that life begins at conception. I think these two things uh, fit very well together, and it's quite shocking to see an ostensibly you know, secular and ostensibly Catholic uh, administration imposing on you know, VA doctors, many of whom are Christians, like, uh, like she is, like Stephanie Carter is, uh, 
this abortion mandate. Well, and especially because, Tyler, abortion may or may not have been as big an issue for the Veterans Administration as it is today. And in fact, has the VA been regularly providing abortions over the years? Nope. In fact, there was this law uh, in, let's see, in 1992, there's the Veterans Health Care Act of 1992, which explicitly stated that the VA may not provide abortions. And there hasn't been another law signed or passed by Congress or signed by the president since then. All that happened was Joe Biden, the Biden administration freaked out because Roe v. Wade had finally been o- overturned in, uh, you know, co- finally correcting that gross miscarriage of yeah. justice. Yep. Yeah. And so they issued this this order essentially saying, well, you know, you the Supreme Court can set that matter right. But we're going to enforce that our federal agency, in this case, the Veterans Affairs Administration, will force people to perform abortions. And, you know, the VA has claimed, you know, they sent me a statement uh, when I asked them about this, that they do have religious exemptions and that the VA uh, director stated so when this new policy was announced. The interesting thing is I also asked them to send a link to his his remarks saying that, and they refused to do so. And then uh, they, when, when I went back to Stephanie's lawyers at First Liberty, uh, they said that she had never been told of any sort of exemption, and she had explicitly been told that there is no process for her to get an exemption for that. Okay, but, but, but this gets so, I mean, it gets a little thorny, but in some ways that ought to be simple. If in 92 the Congress passed and the president signed a law that says VA medical facilities will not provide abortions or abortion services, then the president has no authority to do this. How is it that the Biden administration can say, well, you know, despite the fact that there's a specific law passed and on the books that says we can't do it, we're going to tell every VA facility, because you you and I both know what they're doing here. They're saying that in some of the states, the states, which is where the abortion decision is now made, not, you know, because they, they finally read the Constitution and said, hey, abortion isn't mentioned in here, and, and we're going to have right. to reverse That's this. Not. Then it goes to the states. But in most of those states, there is at least some you know, presence for the VA. I would say there's a VA medical presence. I don't know of a single state that doesn't have it. So they say, well, we'll just have the VA centers do it in all these blues, in all these red states uh, in particular, like Texas, where we're going to be able to offer what the state says you're not allowed to offer or where it's limited by the state, like Idaho has a heartbeat law, so does Texas. Mississippi has Dobbs, of course, because they're the ones who won before the Supreme Court. So it gives the Biden administration the ability to violate its own federal laws and tell the VA facilities to provide what they don't have the legal authority to do and what the state has said, you can't do that in our state. Right. Well, that's a very interesting wrinkle in this situation, is that because she lives in Texas, the abortion mandate might make her, you know, might implicate her in a crime in Texas, in a felony, in assisting these abortions. And, you know, she's caught between a rock and a hard place, even if she didn't have religious exemptions, you know, even even if she shouldn't, if she wasn't able to claim a religious exemption, and I think the law is pretty clear that at the very least you should get that. But it, even if she's not, she's still stuck in this between a rock and a hard place where her employer says you must 
provide and do services for abortions. And the state says, no, that's illegal. Well, and, and like you said, it in Texas, as I understand the heartbeat law, around six, maybe seven or eight weeks, you can detect a fetal heartbeat. Well, the state of Texas said you can't do an abortion after that point. And I don't think the courts have thrown that one out. You may know, you may remember better than I do. But if the state of Texas says it's illegal, is the federal government allowed through the VA, which is, by the way, the VA is a civilian branch that takes care of veterans, but is not run by the military. It's run by civilians. Uh, and, and, and the facilities, right. while federal, are still inside the state of Texas. Can a federal VA facility run by civilians, not the military, can they provide an abortion at, say, nine weeks or 12 weeks that is illegal in the state they're located in? Yeah, I mean, that's that's an excellent question. Uh, according to the Biden administration, it seems like they can, but I don't think the Biden administration is correct here. And I'm very glad that we have this lawsuit that will finally challenge uh, the constitutionality of this situation. Well, and, and, and here's the Biden administration also, tell you know this, because both of us, you write about it, I talk about it on the radio, they don't exactly have a great track record for following the law. I mean, they've done so many things over the last almost two years now where they do it and say, well, and folks say, reporters, who a few reporters actually ask them, are you legally allowed to do this? And they go, well, it's kind of like I call it the 16-year-old uh, boy rule. Because when you were 16, if your friend said, hey, can we can we do this? And you go, we can until we get caught. And, and it was the 16-year-old boy rule, which I don't think the Supreme Court recognizes. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think the president is supposed to act like a 16-year-old boy. I mean, maybe that's a really old, snobby, traditional approach. But uh, I, think, I think I'm going to stand by my supposition that the president should act like an adult and should act like he cares about the Constitution, which he's sworn an oath to uphold, and, uh, you know, actually follow it instead of issuing these blanket, you know, forgiveness of student debt, for example, or, you know, this absurd... Without legal authority, right? (laughs) Right. With zero legal authority. In fact, in the plain, in the teeth of the, the text of the law, and and this happens over and over and over again. And it it surprises me. Well, I mean, it doesn't surprise me because I've grown used to it. But, you know, President Biden, uh, here's a guy who spent 30 years in the United States Senate defending the, uh, I think it was 30, it might, might have been more than that. Yeah, but about, defending, about 30. Uh, defending the, uh, the Hyde Amendment, saying that, you know, he he personally opposes abortion. Uh, that, that was what he would always say. Um, but he thinks that people should have the right to choose it. And he thinks that the government shouldn't fund it. Absolutely right. Tyler O'Neill from The Daily Caller. Tyler, thanks very much. You've got the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. I want to get to your calls. Let me mention this first. Isn't it nice to know what your taxes are going for? Seattle police did a raid. And what they found, uh, they found a lot of drugs. They also found that the way that people were buying their drugs was using their EBT, that is their welfare and their food stamps, and they were turning it right into fentanyl. Two people arrested last week for their roles in an EBT for fentanyl fraud ring, according to our friends at Como TV. Seattle PD says they began investigating the sale of fentanyl and the trade of stolen merchandise for fentanyl. In the process, they found a guy dealing drugs out of his RV that was parked on a street. 
In other words, those RVs provide very convenient locations for criminals. And because the powers that be have decided not to move the RVs out or insist that they comply with all the laws we have to do, here's what they found. They found that several suspects in the scheme were offered EBT or offering EBT recipients. EBT is electronic benefits transfer cards. And that's where you see loaded up both SNAP benefits, food stamps, and TANF, which is welfare. They were offering them 30 to 50 cents on the dollar for the balance on their EBT card. So get this. The criminals are going to people who get special benefits, welfare and, and food stamps. And the welfare and food stamp recipients who are allegedly poor are taking $100 worth of welfare and food stamps and trading it for $30 worth of fentanyl. That's where some of your tax dollars are going. To your calls now at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Let's go to Marie in Seattle. Hey, Marie, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. Good afternoon. You were earlier talking about the abortion situation. When I was in the Army station in Hawaii, I worked OB, pediatrics, newborn nursery. They came to me in 1972, I believe was the year, and asked me to manage the new abortion ward that they were going to open. And I told them that is not a Christian way to do things. And I am a Christian. It's not God's permission to do so. And they could court-martial me first. I refused. How did the Army take that? They went and talked to somebody else, evidently, because they left me alone. So you got you got an, a, a religious exemption without even having to file a lot of paperwork. Good for you, and good for you to, for taking that stance, Marie. And then about 20 years later, the Congress made it illegal uh, for the VA or for the military to offer abortions uh, at taxpayer expense. Praise God for that, because they're going to have to answer to their creator when they come to that time frame. Couldn't agree with you more. Marie, thank you very much. I appreciate the call. I'm glad you're listening on the Radio Northwest Network. Let's go to Steve. Hey, Steve, welcome to the program. It's First Amendment Friday. What's on your mind? Well, I disagree with you when you said Biden was the only one that can stop the border crisis. Uh, the entire Congress swears an oath to uphold the Constitution. And they, they could actually impeach Biden for what he's doing. They could be, impeach Kamala. She hasn't been doing her her duty, and uh, I would think they could impeach Nancy Pelosi. But how we about, don't how have about adding Alejandro Mayorkas to that as well, the sec- Secretary of well, Homeland Security? I'd, I'd impeach the whole bunch, but that doesn't enforce absolutely. the law, Steve. That was what I was saying, is that the only person in that bunch that has not only a duty, but he is commanded by the oath he took. Uh, the oath says the president shall faithfully execute the laws of the United States. The Congress doesn't take that oath because the Congress has no power to tell executive branch agencies like Homeland Security or, or CPB uh, or ICE to go out and enforce the law. But the president does, and he took an oath that said he would faithfully execute the laws. That's why I say within Congress, no member of Congress, not even the House Speaker or the Senate president, can go to an agency and say, enforce that law. Joe Biden can, members of Congress cannot. Well, my only thing is that they could get rid of Joe. I mean, because he's breaking the law. And then we'd have Kamala Harris, who doesn't even want to go to the border. Would that change much? Well, she hasn't been doing her duty as the borders are. So I agree. I would think she could also be impeached. 
and she could immediately as soon as she was in office. Well, the only problem is you couldn't do it simultaneously. And a lot of people have said, well, if we get rid of Joe and we get rid of Kamala, then we get whoever the House Speaker is who will be a Republican in January. The problem is, unless you get rid of them simultaneously, and I don't know that you could do that simultaneously, you end up uh, with Kamala becomes president and chooses a VP who will probably be even crazier uh, than Joe Biden and Kamala Harris put together. And I mean, you know, can you imagine if Kamala Harris became president and picked AOC as her vice president? Oh, it'd be a nightmare. <laughs> it, it is a nightmare. And yet and yet under the Democrats, that nightmare is absolutely possible. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Aaron. Hey, Aaron, thanks for listening on KPNW and the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Yeah, I was just wanting to hit on the fact that I can't believe nobody's there's it's not even in the news about uh Bronson Brothers versus the Congress. Uh um that the Supreme Aaron, I, I actually know the background on that one. And I know people have said, Well they filed asking the Supreme Court to look at it was a case brought by two trumpet players in Utah. And what it said was Absolutely. the Congress violated its oath. They they brought a federal case in a state court. Does that sound like it's going to go anywhere? And then the state court well, dismissed. What's that? It it's it was the tenth circuit court, and they held it up there for almost two years. It was led by Ted Cruz too, when he uh, was saying that the Congress. I'm telling you, Aaron, I've looked up the case. The case was dismissed by the state court in Utah. And these two have now filed a pro se, meaning they don't have any lawyers. They filed it with the Supreme Court. If the Supreme Court takes it up. Perhaps it could work. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Oregon Utility Notification Center wants to remind you that whether you're planting a tree, building a fence, or just making improvements around your farm or home, click or call before you start your work to get the area marked. Then dig safely and avoid contact with buried utilities. You owe it to yourself and your loved ones. Know what's below. Call before you dig. For more information, visit us online at digsafelyoregon.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and emails. It is First Amendment Friday, and you're certainly welcome to join the conversation at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. I want to warn you again about Washington State's new CO2 tax. And I've been doing this warning for some time, aided by my friend Todd Myers, who's environmental director at the Washington Policy Center. And I've told Todd before, based on my experience, people are going to actually realize and take take note of these carbon taxes when they actually pull up to the pumps and they say, what the heck happened to the cost of fuel? And you say, well, it's that CO2 tax we've been warning about. Uh, Many people don't come to the actual realization until they're actually shelling out real dollars to buy the fuel that they have to have. Todd, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me on. Happy Friday. Uh, Happy Friday to you as well. And Merry Christmas in advance. Uh, Tell my audience what is coming at them come January 1st. So last year, Washington State passed a new tax on carbon dioxide. It's a little bit different than just a typical gas tax. A gas tax would be just, you know, 10 cents a gallon or something like that. The way the CO2 tax works is is that for every gallon of gas, gas distributors have to have a permit, and the price of those permits is set on an open market. So it could go up or down, and what the Department of Ecology estimates, they did an economic study, and they estimated that it would be about 46 cents a gallon. 
but they don't know. And so we may not see it jump immediately up in January, but that's what the estimate is for the course of the year. There was just the very first little tiny per, uh, auction of permits, and it ended up at about 28 cents a gallon. So that's better than 46 cents a gallon, but it's a, a little bit odd to be celebrating about 28 cents a gallon. No, and, and whether it comes all at once or creeps up on you, Todd, in some ways, when government decides to impose new costs on people, I would almost rather that it came on people all at once because you'll notice that. Whereas when you have these little creepy taxes that come up and, and you just see this slow rise in the cost of fuel or electricity or something else, you may not realize that you're being taxed out of your money. You just think, well, that's the cost of some goods because people are used to the cost of goods changing from time to time. That's exactly right. And and the politicians and, and government staff who have been supporting this, uh, to them, that's a feature, not a bug. Um, they have already been saying, oh, no, no, you won't see. It's, it'll be a few pennies a gallon, maybe, is what you'll see. And they're already gearing up to blame, you know, oil companies and other folks for any increase in prices. But um, the reality is, is that Washington state is, is going to see an increase, significant increase. And in fact, the minimum that they will see is 18 cents a gallon, because that's the minimum price set by the state of Washington. So people will see that gas costs more, it will cost more compared to our neighbors. Um, and hopefully they, they realize what the, what the reason is. Well, and uh, there are two elements to this, but let me ask you about this. Have they, has the state of Washington figured out where they're going to take all the money that they're going to strip out of people's pockets with this carbon tax and how they're going to spend it and how it's going to make a darn bit of difference? Well, it's funny. So they have spent part of it already in a transportation package that will go over several years. Um, but they actually announced that they anticipate getting more money um, uh, than they expected when they first passed the bill. And the the governor's budget has come out. And of course, there's no tax increases. There's no talk of reducing um, the amount that the tax could go up simply because they're getting more money. They're just finding new ways to spend it. And it all goes into And the other thing is, is that unlike a gas tax in Washington state, in Washington state, a gas tax by constitutional uh, amendment is dedicated to improving the roads, expanding roads, going back to help the drivers who pay for it. The CO2 tax is not limited. It can be used in basically whatever way the legislature wants. So it is a big bucket of money, which means that they are very unlikely to rein it in because it's a lot of money that they get to play with. Well, does that also mean that the legislature can say, we're going to spend the money on this? And if somebody says, well, that has that doesn't have anything to do with the environment, doesn't have anything to do with carbon, doesn't have anything to do with greater efficiency or anything else, uh, that the legislature is allowed to spend it on things that don't have anything to do with CO2? In fact, they have already said that they plan to do that. They have a whole long list of what they call social justice expenditures that do nothing to reduce environmental impacts but go to special interests. So not only can they do that, they've announced that they're going to. Well, and the second issue, and let me put this to you, because, Todd, you and I have both talked about the economics of this, but if you buy the theory that CO2 is bringing the world to ruin, you know, I don't buy that, but let's say you you accept that that's a premise or a given, uh, that, that you need to reduce CO2. If the legislature itself and the state government bureaucracy has said, yeah, this is going to go up so slowly and it'll be such a small amount. I know that you and I believe it's going to be a lot more, but it's going to be such a small amount that people won't even notice it. 
then it won't have the effect of causing. I mean, right. when something goes up in cost, I mean, eggs are now, uh, I think, 50 percent above where they were a year ago. I'd be willing to bet there are plenty of families who, you know, are using fewer eggs because they've gone up 50 percent in price. But if you increase the cost of something in such a small way that people don't even notice the increase, there's no prospect for reducing people's use of the fuel, right? Well, this is exactly why political environmental solutions um, often don't work is because politicians are forced to speak out of both sides of their mouth. Many politicians who are worried about climate change and CO2 say exactly what you just said. We need to radically drive up the price of gasoline and fossil fuels so that people don't use them. But when then when they are faced with the consequences of their the political consequences of their own decisions, they lie and they say, oh, no, no, it won't be very much at all. Well, where previously they said, yes, it will. And that's what our goal is. That's why we need more personal, you know, private sector solutions, because you align personal financial incentives with the environment rather than putting them at odds and making people suffer to help the environment. Private solutions help the environment by helping you save money and save resources. Um, It's why free market solutions are more sustainable than political solutions. And by the way, isn't the state also trying to push this idea? We're going to have a test. We're going to let everybody pay two and a half cents a mile as a tax, and they're going to specifically exempt the electric car users from paying the tax. Kind of. They, they, what they are, the electric users pay a flat fee. So yes, in some ways they are exempted from the per mile tax, but they still pay something. Um, We are going through a transition, and in some ways it it might make sense because electric vehicles um, and hybrids still do damage to the roads. They still use them, and they should pay for that damage. So there is a user fee aspect of it. But, of course, what we have heard from the politicians is that they don't want to protect the mileage tax in the same way that we protect the gas tax to go to transit or to not, not to go to transit, but to go to roads, rather. Um, they want to be able to use it for whatever they want. So on the one hand, there are, it, it may make sense to do that. But again, politics intervenes and screws up what is theoretically a good idea. Todd Myers is the environmental director with the Washington Policy Center. Todd, it's always a pleasure. Keep up the good work at WPC, and we appreciate the time. Thanks for having me on. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you as well. Coming up, I'll get to your phone calls and emails. And should we assume that the voters still choose the most competent people to hold elective office? I'll give you an example to the contrary. Actually, more than one. Coming up next. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's First Amendment Friday, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to Honestly Provocative Talk Radio. And if you want to take part in the conversation, I always promise to make it a better dialogue than a monologue any day of the week. You can dial in at 866-HEY-LARS. And I'll get to some of your calls here in just a moment. That's 866-439-5277. Of course, naysayers, you always go to the head of the line at uh, 866-439-5277. You want to send an email? They all come to me, nobody else. Talk at LarsLarson.com. And you can vote in our Twitter poll. You'll find it two places, at Lars Larson Show on Twitter and LarsLarson.com on the web. Now, should we assume that voters still choose the most competent people for public office? Now, if you say, well, of course, we have these elections, we have primaries, we have all these things going on to try to make sure that the person who is the strongest candidate is chosen. Well, I would offer you some evidence to the contrary. Joe Biden seems to be a great example where you've got a guy who was hiding in his basement, 
He didn't seem entirely mentally fit even then. And since his election and since taking office less than two years ago, almost two years ago now, he has showed all the signs of dementia, of Alzheimer's, of some kind of mental deficit upstairs where he's constantly having to be corrected by his own White House. So he'll go out and say something about Taiwan. He'll say something about China. He'll say something about Ukraine. Remember when he promised that there would be American boots on the ground in Kiev? Yeah, and then the White House had to walk it back. In fact, walkbacks have become so common that to a large extent, we still pay attention to them, but they become a regular artifact of the White House. And it might make you wonder if the president himself, who's supposed to be calling the shots, is saying things and then instantly being corrected by his staff, who's actually making those critical decisions? Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is another example. The former bartender who once explained that unemployment was low under President Trump because she said so many people are working two jobs and that's what keeps unemployment low. Clearly somebody who didn't get much out of that Boston University degree. The same AOC who whined to reporters that on her brand new salary of $175,000 a year, almost $15,000 a month gross and then taxes, she couldn't afford to rent a small apartment in Washington, D.C. And then more recently, you've got Fetterman of Pennsylvania, now a U.S. senator, who literally cannot understand spoken words so badly that reporters who wanted to interview him before the November general election, uh, especially local reporters, had to set up a screen so that whatever they said to his face in a one-on-one -on -one conversation would be typed out on the screen in front of him so that he would understand what the person was saying to him. And then when you tried to listen to him, you ever want to see a horror show, go back and watch the debates. I'm not saying that Dr. Oz was the best candidate. My favorite in Pennsylvania was actually Kathy Barnett. But you had John Fetterman who could barely complete a sentence. You almost needed a secret decoder ring to understand what he was saying. Now, with all that as background, let me offer you up a Gen Z representative, Maxwell Alejandro Frost. He is now in the United States Congress. And I guess I probably don't need to tell you that Maxwell Frost, Maxwell Alejandro Frost, is also a Democrat. He's a member of the Democrat Party. And his complaints lately have been really a joke. He is now complaining that he can't get an apartment that he wants because his credit rating is, as he describes it, really bad. Now, he's a person of color, so of course he's blaming social injustice or something like that for the fact that he has bad credit. And what he, the way he put it on his own Twitter account, this is a member of Congress who, like AOC, is making 175 large a year. Just applied to an apartment in D.C. where I told the guy my credit is really bad. He said I'd be fine. I got denied, lost the apartment and the application fee. This ain't meant for people who don't already have money. You mean renting? that if your landlord or your prospective landlord finds out that you don't regularly pay your bills, he should just trust you to come up with a rent every month? He says, for those asking, I have bad credit because I ran up a lot of debt running for Congress over the last year and a half. I didn't make enough money from Uber to pay for my living. Now, this is how crazy it is. The guy actually goes out and raise a couple of million dollars, but then he complains about the fact 
that when you raise money for a political campaign, you're not allowed to use it to pay your rent, to pay for food, to pay for other basic personal necessities. You're only allowed to use it to be able to run your campaign. This guy is going to be one of, in the House, 435 votes on a multi-trillion dollar budget, and he can't balance his own books or decide how not to overspend and run up a bunch of bad credit? Sounds like a Democrat to the T. Two and a half million dollars he raised for his political campaign. He couldn't pay his own bills. And yet Americans, at least in his part of Florida, decided to trust him to make multi-trillion dollar decisions for the rest of us. To your calls now, let's go to JC. Hey, JC, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. It's First Amendment Friday, so what's on your mind? Uh, yes, good afternoon, Lars. Like always, uh, thank you for taking my call. Hey, um, the Trump cards, I hate going back to that um, big announcement, but um, uh, do you think Trump's really desperate for attention? I mean, he has to be, right, doing, this, doing those cards. I don't think so. I, I, I think that he anticipated. Well, l- let me offer up this. Uh, do, would I have made that decision on his staff? No. I know a number of people exactly. who work for him. Said, but let me tell you how he's smart. He has to pay his bills like everybody else, like this idiot from Florida who couldn't figure out how to, how to arrive at Congress with the uh, credit necessary to rent an apartment. But he's going to make those decisions. What does Trump do? He offers up what are called NFTs. They're not actually physical cards. They're non-fungible tokens, which is a digital representation. And you limit the number of them. So if you wanted to buy a piece of artwork and the artist told you, I'm only making 10 of this painting and I'm going to sign every one, Mm -hmm. that one would be worth more than if he made 1,000 copies, right? Yes. Yes. Okay, uh, so Trump Trump offers up for sale forty five thousand of these NFTs at ninety nine bucks. How much? How long do you think it took those forty five thousand to sell? Uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot. He he he's got a big fan base, right? The MAGA fan base is pretty big, so they they probably went pretty pretty quick. A, a majority of Americans have, are are fan, a majority I, of Americans are fans of Donald. They went out in twelve hours. Yeah, um, I got a little uh, parody song, if you don't mind. I think you're mad. No, I, I don't want the song. Really I, I want to know what you think about that. Was that not uh, clever like a fox to say, if people want a tr- uh, an NFT with well, my face know, um, and my name uh, on it? He, he's been, he's, I guess he's been working out in the gym a lot. I mean, that's he's lost a lot of weight in those pictures. And, yeah, I thought, I uh, thought he had lost a lot of weight good. in the months right after he left the presidency. Yeah. I think the presidency puts a lot of stress he, on people, and I've certainly known people where stress puts a lot of weight on you. You eat more, you exercise less. Yeah, he's looking good, but, but what's your point? Um, yeah, the, those cards look just, I mean, God. I, I, I need know. to find I out. I know you're, it's, 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 yeah. it's a kind of funny joke, <laughs> so, but J.C., do you think that he did okay in selling those cards and a lot of people wanted to buy them? Well, you know, he could, uh, he could do okay with a lot of things, right? Because uh, he's, he's, he's a con man. He knows how to make money. He's not a con he man. Knows how to... Do you think that the four <laughs> years of success America saw under Donald Trump was a con? And do you think that Joe Biden <laughs> is delivering on what he promised to Americans? Because I don't. Maybe you do, but I don't. Just my opinion. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And I know a lot of you are thinking about Christmas. You're thinking about New Year's. You're thinking about a thousand other things other than next year's taxes. But you see, it is Grover Norquist's quest as the president of Americans for Tax Reform to think about taxes 
24 hours a day, seven days a week. And that's why it's a pleasure to welcome him back. Hey, Grover, how are you? I am doing reasonably well. And yourself? I'm doing very well as well because I haven't yet had one of uh, Joe Biden's new 87,000 IRS agents come in and start, you know, doing a, a colonoscopy on my taxes. But I'm kind of expecting it may come in the in the year ahead, which is why I try to play things by the rules, uh, because I don't want trouble from the IRS. But it sounds like from your point of view, uh, this next year is going to be a gigantic mess for a lot of Americans and not just those who make big paychecks. And you can play by the rules. But the rules are so complicated that it's difficult to do that. They've created these new 1099 forms. And if you haven't been hit on the side of the head with one yet, you will be. Uh, This was a law the Democrats passed. All the Democrats voted for it. None of the Republicans did, House and Senate. So if you want to know whether your congressman voted for this dumb idea, ask their party. They're Republican. They voted no. If they were Democrats, they voted yes. And this says that Venmo and PayPal and Facebook Marketplace and uh, Grubhub and all these, uh, StubHub, all these people that transfer money so you can pay your babysitter or uh, eBay, you can uh, sell things uh, from your basement that you don't want anymore. You sell that old old computer or the old, I guess people don't sell old computers, (laughs) the old (laughs) bicycles or or motorbikes. Um, And... uh, you know, you make a couple hundred bucks, right? It yep. used to be that if you made more than $20,000 a year from one source, or if you had 200 transactions, so you were running a regular business, then you would have to report, this would be reported on your behalf to the government, and the government would keep track of it, and they'd say maybe some of it you have to pay taxes on. Well, if it's your business, then you can then you're keeping track of your expenses and what you bought things for. So you could pay taxes on the profit or the income, not total sales. But if you've just had your three, four kids and you're done with that and the bicycles and all the kids' toys are going to be sold and you sell them for a thousand bucks, but you paid a lot more than that for them, you get a thousand dollars in eBay or from uh, Venmo or something. And you know what? You now have to prove that that isn't income. That, it, that, that it's not taxable income, right? That yep. you actually spent more money on that. Go find these several hundred uh, receipts from oh, if, if you if, if you kept them, ago. Grover. How many people you know who go out and buy a baby stroller and have it for mm-hmm. three you know, three years, say through three kids, uh, are going to have the original receipt for the original stroller? Uh, or the crib, or as you put it, the play pens, the high chairs, the the car seats, the big wheel. They're not going to have those receipts in most cases, are they? They aren't, and the government knows this. And you could go hire yourself a lawyer for several thousand dollars, or you could just pay what the nice IRS asks you to send the check for, knowing that it's not real taxable income. Uh, but, you know, making a few extra bucks for the IRS is what they do for a living. Uh or, by the way, if they don't like you, I don't know, maybe a radio talk show host or something, they audit you because of this. And yeah. then they can spend several months sitting around going through all your stuff, seeing if they can find anything interesting, costing you money, lawyer time, your own personal time, the headache, uh, the implication that you cheated. Oh, he's being audited by the IRS. He must have done something wrong. Um, and this is a huge, huge threat to 
tens of millions of Americans who are going to be getting these little 10K, uh, 1099K, 1099K uh, pieces of paper well, into the government. And then the government will say, we know you made this money. Send us cash. Well, and, and, and here's the thing. You're, you're guilty till proved innocent. If they say you made 600 bucks, prove to us that you didn't make you know $400 profit on that. And, and you have to prove that. And if you can't prove it, as you said, they can shake you down for, and it will be a relatively small sum in most cases, it may be 50 bucks. And you might think, well, I don't really have any choice, uh, but, but if they're going to find that I've, I've made money without reporting it as income or, or it was reported as 1099K, you know what this reminds me of, Grover, is one time I, I did a story on, on this scam that was going on where people would send letters to restaurants and they'd send out thousands of these letters. And the letter said, you know, I was in your restaurant last month and the waitress or waiter spilled soup on my, on my jacket and I had to get it dry clean and it was $12. And, and, you know, the restaurant goes, we don't have any idea what this guy is talking about. It happened a month ago. Nobody can remember it. But, boy, we don't want trouble. So they go ahead and pay the $12. If you get 1,000 people to do that, that's $12,000. It sounds like the IRS and the Biden administration are running that kind of scam. We're going to hit you with a small enough amount that it will be more trouble to, uh, to fight it than to just pay it. And, and they're going to shake people down. Grover, did you disappear on me? <laughs> I think I might have lost Grover. Grover, are you there? Huh? Might not be. Well, let's see if he's there. Grover, are you there? I think we might Grover, have yeah. lost him. Oh, nope, Grover. Nope. Yeah, you, but but it sounds like this is a shake. It's a shakedown scam, that. isn't it? Yes, it is. And but the IRS needs to prove that they're doing their job. So if they say we found X number of people who admitted they owed taxes, that they didn't pay the 20 bucks, the 50 bucks, the $100, okay? They, that's, that's a success for them. And then they go back to Congress and say, could we have another $80 billion, please? And then more, they'll want to hire another 87,000 agents. Yep, yeah. And that's going to be a big fight early in this year. The Republicans do not want to give them the $80 billion for 87,000 agents. Certainly not until they can, and there's a list of things the Republicans would like to see. One of them is, could you answer questions about how this 1099K is going to work? And then they, they've got the 12 questions that any person would ask about, well, what if this is you know, being reimbursed for, for rent, or my friends and I go out to dinner, and sometimes I pay, and sometimes they, and there's all this cash going back and forth, and none of it's income, because uh, we're just busy you know, adding up, uh, paying for the, the, the dinner bill, the pizza bill, and so on. But we get out together from time to time. So all together, it can hit $600 in, in a year. doesn't have to be $600 at a time, by the way. $600 yep. in a year. And they, and they go after you. So this is a huge issue. I think we will. There is a piece of legislation. Keep an eye on it. Um, uh, being put forward uh, by Caputo, who's the senator from uh, uh, West Virginia and the congresswoman from West Virginia uh, that that uh, look that would delay this for one year, delay this for one year, so that we can get organized and get it shut down, or force them to answer all the questions that they haven't answered yet about how would you determine this, how would you determine this. They haven't even figured out their answers to the questions that you and I would have about well, is this income? Is this come? How how can we possibly deal with? Um, reconciling all this stuff? Am I really expected to have 10-year-old, 5-year-old receipts uh, stacked up on top of each other? Uh, the IRS 
is not able to get their arms around their own project line here. And by the way, Grover, you and I have talked about this. The $87 billion is over 10 years, so it's $8 billion a year for these 87,000 agents. Is there any way, shape, or form they're going to even earn back the money this is costing us? Well, they, they come up and say, we think each agent will get X amount more than uh, before. Uh, although CBO has, in the past, what, what politicians would do is, I'd like to buy, build something in my uh, hometown, and I said cost $10 million. And so go hire yourself another 12 agents. That'll, that'll do it. And, and that was considered a pay for, okay? Well, since the 12 agents, one, didn't always get hired, two, when they did get hired, they didn't get you the money that you thought you did, they finally said you can no longer use that as a pay for. That's, that makes sense. No more pay-fors like that. That's Grover Norquist, the president of Americans for Tax Reform, and this is The Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to The Lars Larson Show. It's the Radio Northwest Network, proudly serving the Pacific Northwest states of Oregon, Washington, and Idaho for the past 23 years as of January the 1st. Glad to have you with me, and if you want to jump in, it's 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And this segment of the show is always brought to you by Valhalla Tea, a perfect gift for the holidays, helping veterans with every bag sold at Valhalla T.com. Today's Twitter poll, should the government bring grizzly bears back to the Cascade Mountains? What a crazy, stupid idea. I would vote no on that. You can vote any way you like at Lars Larson Show. Chelan County Commissioners, and apparently the commissioners from several other counties, have said, please, to the federal agencies, please don't put grizzly bears back in the North Cascades. The commissioner sent a letter to the National Park Service Complex Superintendent, a guy by the name of Don Stryker, saying they and other counties were not even consulted. We continue to oppose grizzly bear reintroduction given the likely negative impacts to public safety, economic development, recreation, and the overall livelihood of our rural communities. Now we'll see if they get any action out of the feds. Uh, who want to bring an apex predator back to the woods of the Cascade and the North Cascade Mountains in this case. And the county commissioners and the folks who live there are saying, this is a dumb idea. It's a terrible idea. So today's Twitter poll is brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. On the subject of grizzly bears, let's go to Steve. Hey, Steve, thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Hey, Steve. Well, well Steve missed his opportunity, I guess. Let's go to uh, Bradford. Hey, Bradford, welcome to First Amendment Friday. What's on your mind? Hey, I had a comment to make. You were talking earlier in the show to, I believe, the gentleman who's one of your largest supporters who does real estate, and you guys were talking about how you have these vacant properties that are left before the owner sells them and people have been found when realtor agents go and check on, in on them and how it's become an issue with getting the police to deal with the culprits that break in. And I was thinking, since federally you're given a constitutional right to good Samaritan laws, without any hesitation, you should be able, if you know how, to apprehend these people if necessary. If the police are not willing to do anything you should be given due diligence. Due. I mean, this is this part of the Constitution, Bill of Rights, the right to protect your property, and a house is including your property. So I don't see where it gives the liberals and the Democrats any right to try to say, oh, you're, doing, you're going outside the law when you get confrontation. I just don't believe that's logical, nor is it constitutional. 
Well, Brad, here's here's where I think where where the rubber meets the road on this one. Imagine this circumstance. Let's say you've got a house and you get a call from a neighbor who, you know, is friends with you, says, hey, somebody's in your house. The lights are on or there's a car parked in the driveway and there are people walking inside your locked up vacant house. So you say, well, I'm going to come over and deal with it. So you call the cops and they say, we're not going to help you uh, or we can't help you. So you say, "Okay, I'm going to remove these people. Now, if you're smart, you walk in and uh, you say, hey, get out of my house. And they say, pound sand. We're not going to get out of the house. So your next action. Now, let's assume you're, you're taking this as reasonably as you can. You say, get out of my house. I'm going to drag you out of my house. And you grab a hold of one of the people and begin dragging them to the door. Now, I hope that would work out well. I have a a feeling that if these are sophisticated criminals, and some of them are, I mean, some of them know a lot about the law. I mean, you remember the guy in, uh, I think it was Tacoma, who called, had his girlfriend call 911. He was being chased by the cops, and he had his girlfriend call and say, hey, tell the officers that are chasing us under the new law passed in Olympia uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, the police aren't allowed to chase me. I mean, they literally know that much about it. So this guy lets you drag him to the door and dump him out the front door, right? You've just assaulted him. He calls 911, says, hey, I just got assaulted. And when the cops show up, you say, look, this is my house. They have no right to be here. And, they, and the police say, yes, but you had no right to put your hands on this guy. If instead you do something a little more outrageous, you say, get out of my house. They say, pound sand. You pull out a gun or any other kind of weapon and threaten them with it. You're likely going to jail. Now, you say, well, that doesn't sound right. I agree with you. It doesn't sound right. But if the guy in the house, whether he has a right to be there or not, says this man assaulted me or this man pointed a weapon at me, you're the one who's going to go to jail. Now, tell me if you see a flaw in that argument. Oh, I I do. I do. Because, you know, if you're doing this reasonably to use good Samaritan laws, which is technically you know, citizens arrested. I don't know what you're talking about with Good Samaritan laws. Good Sam laws say if you come upon a a traffic accident, somebody's injured, if you treat them within the abilities, your training and abilities, you're free from liability. It does not say you can go and grab somebody by the arm or threaten them with your fist or, or physically push them out of your house. I don't, I don't think that sounds right either, but, but tell me where you think you could grab somebody and drag them out of a property you own and not get charged with assault. Well, I, if they tried to attack you and you didn't use, say, and say, quote, unquote, violence, but you more did like some kind of. No, like, if they uh, try to attack you, you have a right to defend yourself. But what you don't have a right to do is physically drag them out of the house. And, there, and in fact, Brad, I'll, I'll tell you this, too. I know one other landlord. Uh, he came on the show and told the story. When the cops showed up, these folks, these jokers pulled out a piece of notebook paper like you take out of a third grader's notebook, and on it was written, allegedly, a rental agreement with them and with the landlord. And the landlord says, I didn't write that up. None of that is right. It's all got full of misspellings and bad grammar and and everything. Spelled the landlord's name wrong. The cops said, well, it appears he has a rental agreement, and you have to go to court and get the court to order him to leave, and that's going to take you 60 days. Hate to tell you, the law is not on the side of the good guys in this case. It's First Amendment Friday, and you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs, but how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. 
With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com.